Please be seated. It's great to be here this morning and a great privilege to be bringing God's Word for us all. As part of my development and training, Gerald and Jordan have very kindly given me the opportunity to be preaching from a book of the Bible, and I've chosen 2 Timothy, and we're going to hear from 2 Timothy this morning. But before we read from 2 Timothy chapter 1, I just wanted to remind you that uh, you may or may not have heard a full sermon series from 2 Timothy. You might have heard one from 1 Timothy. And if you remember 1 Timothy, we're reminded uh, by Paul to be wary and cautious of dangerous and false teachers, to have elders who are biblically faithful, to be faithful servants of Jesus, and for the church to conduct itself in a godly manner. That was 1 Timothy. But as we now fix our eyes on 2 Timothy, uh, the scene has changed. Paul is now in prison. He's in chains for the gospel. Uh, You can just imagine Paul writing this letter to Timothy, and there's probably rats eating his food. People have deserted him. Things are tough, and he's facing execution. Uh, This is now where we come to uh, 2 Timothy, and it's in these horrific circumstances that Paul is in that he writes such a stirring and powerful letter to Timothy. Before we read, I just want to remind you and ask you one question, and I want to pose this question to you this morning. Are you ashamed of anything? Are you ashamed of anything? We've got quite a a large passage, but I hope that you can see how it all fits together. Uh, Let's read from 2 Timothy chapter 1 from page 1181 in the Pew Bibles. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. 
May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. May God bless the reading of his word and let us come before him in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can sing to you, Lord. May we have an undivided heart that has our eyes and our hearts fixed on you. Lord, as we hear your word this morning, I pray that the words that are spoken may not be my words, Lord, but yours, Lord. And I pray that through the power of your spirit, Lord, you may be convicting us of our sin, that we will walk away this morning, changed and not the same person that we were as we walked in to church this morning. We pray that you may be praised and that you may be glorified now and forevermore. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Uh, This week, uh, the news was dominated by one man. One football club. And one big issue his resignation. Andrew Thorburn, the CEO of the Essendon Football Club, resigned because people couldn't handle that he was a Bible-believing Christian who went to a Bible-believing church that held a view that we're all sinners in need of God's mercy and grace. Otherwise, we face his wrath and judgment. See, these views were too much for too many people to handle. In fact, many people were ashamed of them. Our Premier was ashamed of biblical truth. People at the Essendon Football Club were ashamed of biblical truth. And many celebrities and people that you might even know were ashamed of the Bible. And the media was ashamed. And the sad thing was, many Christians, many people who professed to be Christian, were ashamed of biblical truth. In today's society, we don't want to be ashamed, even if that means rejecting the very truth that we believe. But as Paul writes to Timothy, he tells him that he shouldn't be ashamed. Timothy shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel and the good news of salvation in Jesus. He shouldn't be ashamed to suffer for Jesus. Why and how does that relate to us? What it means for us today is that we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. Rather, we are to guard the gospel and protect it, knowing that God's Spirit is powerfully at work in each and every one of us. I'll say that again. We are to guard the gospel without having shame in sufferings, knowing that God's Spirit is at work in us. The first thing that I want to show you is that As Paul writes to Timothy, he encourages him of the gospel that is in him. You could summarize verses 1 to 5 as Paul saying, the gospel in you. How does Paul do this? Well, he mentions who this gospel is all about. The gospel is all about the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 1. Paul not only reminds Timothy of who the gospel is about, but how he feels about Timothy. Timothy 
He's like his beloved child. Timothy is not someone who believes one thing and then does another. Timothy is a genuine Christian with genuine convictions and values. He's he's not a fluffy, duffy believer. And Paul knows that. Paul sees Timothy's sincere faith. But how how does this faith come about? Is it a faith that is inherited? It may seem like that. If you look at verse 5, it says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Paul isn't saying that because, he's, that because Timothy's mother was a Christian and his grandmother was a Christian, that then makes Timothy a Christian. No. What Paul is saying is that the same faith that his grandmother and his mother cling to, Timothy has clinged to himself. He's, he's grasped this faith. I, I once had a friend of mine at a Presbyterian youth camp that I went to who said to me, Duan, God doesn't have grandchildren. And I had to think about that. I didn't really understand that until finally it clicked for me and the penny dropped. Just because your parents or grandparents are believers, that doesn't make you a Christian. You see, you need to see your own sin and repent on your own accord. Your your parents, your grandparents, they can't do it for you. So when you're having a conversation with someone, you say, I'm a Christian, I go to a Presbyterian church, and and you might have someone who says to you, yeah, I'm a Presbyterian as well, I think I'm a Presbyterian, that's that's the church my parents went to. Uh, That doesn't make someone a Christian. See, unless they've seen their moral depravity and their sin and repented and confessed their sin before a righteous and holy God, they are not people who believe in Jesus unless they truly see what Jesus has done for them. Now, what I'm not downplaying here is the importance of bringing up children in a godly home. Think about the world that we live in. We have a great responsibility to train and raise people who remain faithful to God's Word and the truth of the Gospel. Just just imagine the profound influence Timothy's mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois would have had on his faith. I mean, what a blessing and privilege it is to teach others to fear God, to to be taught the Scriptures from an early age, to have had the Gospel clearly and faithfully proclaimed and explained to us by parents and loved ones. See, the way we we train and equip someone has great influence on them for the rest of their life. Think about the influence that Paul would have had on Timothy for the rest of his life. Think about the influence that, that you could have in your family. I mean, family devotions at the breakfast or dinner table Family prayers or praying with your grandparents or cousins or uncles or aunties. Reading the Bible with with family and with friends and with people around you. They are all ways that influence someone in their faith. How can you encourage and help disciple those in your life? Or maybe those who are younger than you, who you see. Maybe, Maybe this week you can read the Bible with someone. Or maybe, today after church, if you have a conversation with someone, 
you can encourage them by praying for them afterwards. To do that, we need to start talking to people. And if you're a young person, can I encourage you, do not be scared to go up to someone who's an older Christian and ask them to pray for you or to read the Bible with them. And if you're an older person, please don't be scared if a young person comes up to you. Um, Please know that you have a great responsibility to encourage them and point them to Jesus. And may we be a church where, young or old, we can encourage each other of the gospel that is in us. See, Timothy, his faith is genuine and it's been spurred on it. And Paul continues to encourage him. He sees it. And Paul, he still tells Timothy, though, one thing. Verse 6, he tells him to, to fan into flame or rekindle the gift of God that is in him. Why does Timothy need to fan into flame the gift if he already has a sincere and genuine faith? It's because Timothy will face sufferings. That's the second thing I want to share with you this morning. The second thing, the gospel you're not ashamed of. The gospel you're not ashamed of. You see, Paul is asking Timothy to take these hot embers that he had and to fan into flame and and rekindle the fire of those hot embers so that they become a roaring flame. Why is a roaring flame needed? Because Timothy, like Paul, is going to go through some tough and challenging times. And a roaring flame is what Timothy needs. In 2009, you might remember the devastating Victorian bushfires that we had. I had a previous pastor of mine who called me very late in the day to come and to fight the fires, but it was just way too late. So I saw him the next day, and when I saw him, I asked him, what was it like fighting these fires in the mountains? And he said to me, it was scary. It was scary. He said, it was scary. And I asked, what's, what's scary? He told me that when you're at the bottom of the mountain and you hear the fire coming down, this roaring flame is coming at you and it's just unstoppable. Unstoppable. See, Paul is telling Timothy that he needs a roaring flame to prepare himself for the suffering that he will face. And see, this roaring flame prepares him for the trials that he will go through. And one of those many trials is to not be ashamed. To not be ashamed. Not being ashamed of the message of the gospel. Not being ashamed of Paul in prison and the very chains that bind him. And not being ashamed of the one whom Timothy has his faith in. I want you to think about these things and particularly think about what does it mean to not be ashamed of the gospel. Verses 8 to 10 bring light on the gospel of which Paul is not ashamed of. Paul is, he's not ashamed of the testimony or witness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's this very message that Paul is willing to suffer for. It's it's nothing because of anything wonderful Paul's done, 
but because of the mercy and grace of God. And this has been revealed to him and it's been revealed to us through the work of Jesus Christ, through his life, death and resurrection. You see, Paul suffers and is not ashamed of the gospel because the one whom Paul is suffering for wasn't ashamed of him. Jesus was not ashamed of Paul. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he took the punishment of every one of our shameful sins. For the times when our eyes have looked at filthy pleasures, the times when our tongues have said the most vilest and disgusting things towards others. The times when our hearts have wished the most evil and wicked towards another person. The most wicked things towards another person. Jesus, he, he saw each and every one of our sins. And yet, he didn't turn away from our sin and shame. He didn't turn away from us because of our shameful past. Instead, he suffered for every one of our sins on the cross. Jesus took it upon himself. You see, our sin deserves God's full wrath and anger. Our sin deserves every bit of punishment that it can get. Yet God looks on Jesus. And he declares us, the sinner, not guilty because Jesus has willfully taken the punishment. Not for 50% or 60% or 99%, but 100% each and every one of our filthy, rotten sins. Jesus has done this for us. And yet we can sadly be ashamed of him. We can sadly be ashamed of Jesus for so many reasons. Someone might tell you, your gospel tells me that unless I repent of my sin and turn to Jesus, God's anger and punishment remains on me. That's not a loving God. You might hear that from someone. Don't be ashamed of public opinion or what people say in disgust of the gospel. Don't be ashamed if people seem offended by the gospel. See, the gospel is offensive. How offensive it is that sinners are pardoned. How, how offensive it is that the righteous has to die for the unrighteous. How offensive that God takes the punishment that we rightfully deserve and puts it upon his perfect son. You see, as Christians, we are to renounce what the world says is honourable, and instead we are to embrace the shame of the cross. Brothers and sisters, without Jesus dying on the cross, the greatest victory could never be achieved. It's the victory of the cross that Paul tells Timothy to never be ashamed of. Never. So when you're feeling, or when you're facing shame, of the gospel. Remember, Jesus wasn't ashamed of you. He wasn't ashamed of you. And this, this shapes Paul's attitude. And it should 
shape yours. As verse 12 says, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Uh, the great Welsh preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones summarizes this verse by saying that Paul is a man who, who really has believed and has committed his whole self and life to the Lord Jesus Christ. What does this now mean for us? It means that we can join with Paul in suffering. This, this is not a recommendation or an option. This is a command. And why is it commanded? Because we will suffer for being followers of Jesus. There is no question about that. We will suffer. People will be ashamed and hostile to the gospel message. But there is great joy. We do not need to fear. Verse 7 is a powerful verse and it reminds us, it says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God equips us to not fear. God blesses us with power to be brave, with, with love to ensure that our actions honour Him, and self-control to ensure that our hearts are not deceived. We don't have to fear when we're at our workplace. Don't fear losing your job. We've seen that this week. Maybe you might read the Bible with someone in your workplace, or you might do your morning devotion in your office tomorrow morning. Do not fear. If people look at you and think, look at this Christian in our office. Think about what he believes. Do not fear. Maybe you're going to be at uni this week and you're going to read the Bible with a group of people in the cafeteria. Do not fear if people look at you. Maybe you're at school and people know that you go to church on a Sunday. Do not fear if you tell people that you serve Jesus. See, people will be hostile, but don't fear them. We do not have a spirit of fear. We do not. We can boldly proclaim Jesus because we have a spirit of power and love and self-control. Fortunately for Paul, he has seen many so-called believers who don't have this spirit. In fact, they've turned away from Paul. They've deserted him. And as verse 15 tells us, They've been ashamed of the gospel. They've been ashamed of God's servant Paul and the chains that bind him. But that is not the case for genuine believers. Believers like Onesiphorus, who refreshed Paul and attended to his needs. You see, despite being in chains, in prison, Onesiphorus, he didn't desert Paul but rather he searched for him and sought to serve him. As verse 18 says, May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. See, Onesiphorus is an example to us for how we treat brothers and sisters who are suffering for the gospel. If God is not ashamed of them, we 
should not be ashamed of them. See, there are many Christians who are mocked for their faith. We've seen it once again this week. Many Christians who are, are ridiculed for their desire to strive to honour God's truth. And many Christians who may face losing their job and they may face prison because they want to be faithful to the gospel and to what God tells us in the Bible. What is one thing that we should not do to them? We should not be ashamed of them. We shouldn't desert them. We should care for them, even if it means that we too are mocked and ridiculed. While Paul calls us to not be ashamed of the gospel, he also calls us to put into that into action one simple task, and that is to guard the gospel. Guard the gospel. This leads us to the last thing I want to share with you this morning. That is, the gospel you must protect. The gospel you must protect. In verses 13 and 14, Paul gives us two requirements that we are to fulfill. We are to follow the pattern of the sound words and we are to guard the good deposit entrusted to us. What is Paul specifically telling us here? He's saying that we are to keep safe the gospel message and we are to watch over it. In other words, he's telling us that we are to preserve the gospel and its message. Now, when I use the word preserve, I hope you don't think about jams or pickles. I know many of you here at Donville make great preserves and great jams or pickles as well as great... Um, What's the term of a, like a lime pickle as well, where you put salt and water. And see, Paul is not saying that we need to, to take our Bibles and put it into a jar with salt and water, hoping that it will be preserved for generations. No, neither is Paul saying that we need to have a security box protecting all our Bibles or leaving it in a glass cabinet. No. Paul is saying that we are to protect the teachings of the gospel by faithfully teaching it to others. So when we pass down the message of the gospel to the next generation, the next generation, they can faithfully guard it only when they know what they're guarding. If they don't know what they're guarding, then we have a huge problem. Don Carson I once said that if we fail to teach the gospel to the next generation, then one generation believes the gospel, the next assumes it, and the third then forgets it and denies it altogether. So I ask you, are you preserving the gospel? What has been taught to you are you teaching to others? Your children, your spouse, your family, friends, those you know. So the gospel is preserved when we teach it to others. I, uh, I once heard the story of a young man from Nepal named Basanta. He was 
living in Dubai and he received a, a very strange gift. He received a very, very old, worn-out Bible from his parents who were in Nepal who had read this Bible and became Christians. And they received this Bible from a son of theirs who was in Iraq who also read this Bible and became a Christian as well. And then he sent this Bible to another brother in Saudi Arabia who read this Bible and became a Christian as well. For those of you who don't know, Bibles are very hard to get into Saudi Arabia. And now Basanta, he had this very old, worn-out Bible. And he was the last person in his family to read it. And through the help of a man named Mac, and after going through the Bible and, and understanding what the Gospel was, Basanta was the last person in his family to become a Christian. What an amazing and powerful story God using this family. You see, this family, they, they weren't preserving the ink and paper of this old Bible. They weren't trying to preserve the ink and paper of it. They were preserving the very words it taught by teaching it and passing it on to others. This is how we protect the gospel. By holding on to the teachings we have heard and teaching it faithfully to others. Even when people are ashamed and disgusted with what the Bible teaches, we are to faithfully proclaim the truth of God, no matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. God has entrusted to us a life-changing gift that changes someone from the inside out. This is a beautiful, precious gift, and we are to guard it and protect it with every fibre of our being. Now you may be thinking, what a difficult and impossible task God has given to us. If you're thinking that, yes, you are right. You see, if we do this task based on our own strength and our own wisdom, it's impossible. It's impossible. The only hope we have is if God gives us the strength and wisdom to do this properly. And the good news is that He has. He has. Now, please look at verse 14 with me. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You see, it's only by the Holy Spirit. God gives us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us so that what seemed impossible for us is now possible because it is God working in us. You can, you can try your hardest to guard and preserve the gospel, but if the Holy Spirit is not at work in us, our work is in vain. You can, you, can, you can read every theological book. You can understand the original language of the Bible like never before. You can have every bit of head knowledge, but without God's Holy Spirit, you will achieve nothing. It's the Holy Spirit that is the preserver and teacher of the gospel. We can do nothing in our own strength. See, we need 
God's Holy Spirit. And the good news is that if we believe in Jesus, His Holy Spirit is powerfully at work in each and every one of us. What a great, great encouragement and blessing that that is for each and every one of us here this morning. So as I finish this morning, I want to ask you one very important question. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Are you ashamed of the gospel? First, you might be here this morning and you might not believe the gospel. Maybe you think that your life is far better off without Jesus. But I urge you to see that Jesus is the only one who can save you from your sin and shame. He is the only one who can see every shameful thing you've done and still forgive you if you come before him in repentance. And if you do believe in the gospel, may I remind you to not be ashamed of it. Guard it. Preserve it. Teach it. Know that God's Spirit is at work in you even when you face shame and suffering for His name. See, there is, there is no greater joy, brothers and sisters, than eternal life with Jesus, free from the consequences of sin and death. You, you may experience shame and suffering for believing in Jesus, but remember, remember, Jesus will guard you and protect you from shame and failure because He is not ashamed of you. He is not ashamed of us. Let me leave you with the words of Paul in verse 12. It says, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that He is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the joy of the gospel, that it transforms and changes us from the inside out. Lord, we thank you for the task that you have entrusted to us to guard the gospel. Lord, we are greatly encouraged that we do not do it in our own strength, we do it knowing that your spirit is powerfully at work in us. Lord, as we go this week to our jobs, to school, to university, as we see family or friends or whatever we may do, may we not be ashamed of the gospel. May we not be ashamed of the work of Jesus. But may we boldly proclaim the wonderful message that is the gospel all those around us, even if that means pain and suffering. May it be, Lord, for your glory, now and forevermore. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.